0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Breakpoint Podcast, starring myself, Frankie, and...
1: Special guest, part two, your girl Arabelle Chafé. What's up?
0: (laughs) Yes. Um, I have a feeling that Arabelle will, will start becoming more than just a special guest, um, seeing the reaction that has come about from her first guest appearance, and now filling in for uh, Marcus on this week's episode, so you're more than a special guest now. You are actually um, a, a fill-in guest host, um, so so you've upgraded, you're, you're getting a promotion.
1: <laughs> I'm honored. Um... Yeah, it's too bad Marcus couldn't join. Marcus is living the life of the rich and famous, glamming it up in Greece while you and I are slumming it in our finance day jobs.
0: That's true. Um, (laughs) As we all know, uh, my pecking order when it comes to my career is, number one, uh, racket stringer, number two, (laughs) tennis (laughs) podcast host, and number three, of course, Wall Street. Um, That's that's the exact order. (laughs) Everything else is just a side hustle. Um, Anyway, so we wanted to do this podcast because it's been a whirlwind few days at the French Open. I had some really fantastic matches. Uh, I think everything was going like according to plan pretty smooth up until probably, like, Saturday or Sunday of this weekend when the round of 16 started, and then everything just blew up. <laughs> and the draw is just, like, completely gone wide open. Um, I would say for the most part, our predictions were, like, fairly accurate, especially yours, Arabelle. Um, you had some really good call-outs, especially on the dark horse that we'll get into. But, um, you know, I think I think everything that we said for the most part has happened outside of one particular person who who choked but uh, we will get into that but we have to start with of course what has definitely been the match of the tournament if not the match of the year again with these two meeting at Roland Garros Novak versus Rafa episode 59 and this time Rafa was able to come back on top so Arabelle what did you find to be most impressive about Rafa Nadal
1: well I guess, first of all, Rafa proved me wrong. Um, You know, I thought this foot injury would come back to haunt him, seeing the way that he was grimacing in Rome. But I did caveat it on the last podcast that he was coming in with – he was sort of speaking with a lot of confidence at the press conferences prior to Roland Garros. You know, his coaches were saying he's done this before. He basically did it at the Australian Open – and people were saying in practice, you know, Zverev was saying he looks amazing. So, you know, I stand corrected. Rafa proved me wrong. And so it was astounding to see that he was in top physical form. He was vintage Rafa. Um, I think what impressed me the most was just the forehand was firing on, on all cylinders. Um, I think that's what won him the match. He was super aggressive. Um and then at the end, it seemed to me like Novak couldn't match Rafa's offensive power and was also just running out of steam a little bit. And Rafa was just like in that sixth gear, uh, completely uninhibited. And it's pretty hard to stop him when he's in that state at Roland Garros.
0: Yeah, no, I am all with you. Um, I would also like to highlight something that one of who, who was uh, our first first special guest, uh, Dylan Roberts, uh, he DM'd us uh, on Instagram. By the way, if you don't follow us, follow us at Breakpoint Podcast 7. We're a good follow. We try. I try to keep it pretty engaged during the majors, but uh, Dylan replied to one of our posts and said that the most impressive part of Rafa's victory was the fact that he had to, the stamina to come back and play that well after a brutal five-set match against uh, FAA, which I completely agree with. And we're going to highlight FAA in a little bit, but yeah, I, I think there were two things that Nadal was really doing better than Djokovic in this match. I think number one, um, obviously, as Arabell just said, the forehand was just unbelievable. I mean, he in the first set, I think Rafa had 24 winners to eight unforced errors, which is just absurd. I mean, that's that's ridiculous numbers. Um, and then two, I think what was most what was very impressive to me throughout the entire match was uh, Rafa serve Rafa serve was dominant. He was getting really easy holds. He was hitting a few aces every now and then he was really going big on his serve. And I think that that enabled him to really focus in on the Djokovic serve and try to break that as much as he could. But I mean, these two were just battling over and over again. There was a 20 minute like game. <laughs> like, hmm. like that's ridiculous. Yes. I, I mean, it, it was a fantastic match as always between these two. Um, uh-huh. Honestly, it's a shame that this was a quarterfinal and not a final. But uh, regardless, I think this this was a a fantastic match. Another career-defining victory for Rafa. This has definitely been sort of his season, and and it's really got me wondering now whether, you know, Novak had that chance last year to complete the the calendar year Mm -hmm. Grand Slam. Maybe this is Rafa's year to, to, to try to take aim for that. Right. Like
1: I never even thought of that. Wow.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe this is his year. So I don't know. I, I think it's pretty crazy. But I also agree with you on the other point that you said that was surprising to me was that Rafa seemed to be the fresher player in the fourth set. And Novak just ran out of gas, which which was really surprising to me because Novak's had a pretty easy run up uh, for the most part. Uh, through to to playing Rafa in the quarters. He didn't really struggle very much with Schwartzman. Obviously didn't drop a set in Rome. So has been fairly easy for him and uh, still seemed to be the one that was out of gas. So I don't know if that was conditioning or whether he would just felt very defeated. But, you know, for Novak to be blowing a 5-2 lead in the fourth set, I think is pretty shocking, quite honestly. So, you know, we'll see. Um, I... This is not the first time, the not the last time that these two will be meeting uh, this year. That is for sure.
1: Right. Anyway. And last comment I would make before we wrap up Novak versus Rafa. One thing that's impressed me just about both of them that you touched upon in, in these later parts of their career where they're like having dominance once again is that they have both managed to improve their game even more specifically with the serve. I think. Improving your serve helps so much, especially at this age where they want to try to, like, keep the points shorter, preserve their energy, have the stamina. It helps so much to be able to have uh, the serve as a weapon, and both of them, I think these past two years, have improved dramatically on that front.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, this was one of the first—the serve with Rafa and Novak was one of the first things that people really identified— as a weak point in their game, right? Mm-hmm. Like Rafa made that switch to win the U.S. Open where he like opened up his serve grip a little bit back in 2010 and was able to generate like five miles an hour more on his serve. And that's how he won the U.S. Open. Novak had a double faulting problem, pretty bad second serve. Clean that up a little bit. And then within the past like two years, I'd say to your point, they've tried to improve it even more by really going after those plus ones as much as possible. And that's the reason why Novak hired Goran Ivanecevic in the first place to join his coaching staff was to help him improve that serve because they both identified it as the number one way to, um, shorten points and extend their careers if they could have quick and easy service games. So I think that was, that was very much on display. Um, so the next thing that we wrote down here and this, this one's going to be all you Arabelle, because you're the one that called it, um, maybe not the Carlos Alcaraz one. That one, I think we were all shocked by, but Stefano Sitsipas goes down, um, to Rune, um, which uh, pretty convincingly I might add too really wasn't even very, very competitive of a match. But, um, you know, Sitsipas almost lost in the first round to Lorenzo Musetti, which was something that I had predicted, like could be a shaky match for him in that first round matchup. And it very much was up until Musetti just collapsed. Um, and then Steph goes down, um, to Holger Rune, your boy, Arabelle. So tell us what, what, what did he do? Right. How did he, how did he stop him?
1: Well, so I was very impressed with Holger Rune this tournament. I think, uh, sort of the positivity outweighed the maybe lack of maturity and allowed him to do really well um i love to see him just having so much fun on the court smiling hitting his drop shots um so i think holger Rune was just super aggressive um i think some of his his main weapons besides for his forehand are uh, the backhand down down the line, uh, very trusty, very powerful, able to hit a lot of winners there. Um, so I think he really he really rose to the occasion, and I think uh, you made a point earlier about uh, Sitsipas's weakness on the return of serve and how Holger was able to expose that uh, specifically on the ad court with a with a kick serve. I think probably Stefano, one of Stefano stefano's biggest weaknesses is lack of a slice it's really surprising to me how someone with a one-handed backhand doesn't have a good slice but he almost never uses it he's it's pretty inconsistent and when you're it's 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 not good to be trying to hit over every return of serve with a one-handed backhand you need to be able to chip it back in um so if you can't do that, you're kind of screwed. So I think that was a, a big part of Rune's strategy.
0: Yeah, I think I completely agree. And, and I really do, I do think that Steph needs to work on the backhand slice as just at least a variety option on that side because this has now been three players in a row with Musetti, Alcaraz, and Holger that have all exposed him on that, specifically on that ad side of just doing a massive kick serve to that backhand and then just setting up the rest of the point. Um, That's how Alcaraz has basically dismantled Steph every time they've played. It's how Holger Rune won won this match. It's how Lorenzo Musetti took two sets off of Steph like very convincingly. Um, It's something that he needs to address. He very clearly needs to fix it. Um, I think once he gets on the ground and he's able to just hit topspin backhands, I think he's actually fine. Uh, but you know, the, the return is a really weak point and he's just getting, he's just starting, uh, so defensive right from the onset that it's making it very hard for him to break. Um, I owe Holger an apology and I will now be a fan of his similar to my Casper rude fandom. Um, I am always happy when a player proves me wrong and Holger 1 million percent proved me wrong. Um, he is the real deal. He's legit. Um, he's going to be a very, very, very good player for a long time. His backhand I thought was unreal. Absolutely lights out. Did not know that he had that shot in him like that. Um, the first serve is shaky, but like that, I think will come with age. Uh, but the second serve I thought was great returns. I love his returns. I thought he was super aggressive, um, willing to take chances, uh, and was just very pleasurable to watch. Even in this match that he unfortunately just lost to Casper Ruud, um, he was going for it. He was stepping up in the uh, to the baseline to try to return some of Casper Ruud's uh, serves, take time away from him, and uh, you know thinking tactically and deeply. And and that's what I really look for in a player, and and he did that. So. Um, full credit to him. This is an outstanding result. He's going to have a really good season. And and I think he's definitely a contender for most improved um, for sure. So that was awesome. The other big upset was Carlos Alcaraz. And I shouldn't say it was a big upset. He lost to Zverev, who was the number three seed at this whole thing. But Alcaraz did lose to uh, Sasha Zverev. And, you know, John McEnroe said that this was the first time that Alcaraz has looked like he's 19 years old this entire season. And I would have to agree with him. Um, I think the three out of five is just a different sort of ball game for Alcaraz. This was very sort of reminiscent of his loss to Matteo Berrettini at the Australian Open, where it was just like at these critical moments, like Alcaraz just didn't quite have it in the same way that he does in a two out of three set match. Um, and I wonder if that's just, like, he's not used to the 3 out of 5 conditioning yet um, that, like, Zverev and the these other guys are. So, you know, uh, but regardless, Alcaraz is 19. I think all of us got a little bit carried away and thinking that he would potentially win this. Um, neither one of us predicted that he would win it. We both thought that he would lose to Rafa or, or Novak, whoever got through. But, um, you know, Alcaraz, this is a great result. He should move on to Wimbledon. He should be happy. Maybe take some time off also because he looks like he's really tired out there. Um, But what but what did you see from Zverev um, that made him be able to, you know, overtake Alcaraz?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you the same question because it seemed like uh, Alcaraz kind of wiped the floor. with Zverev um, in the last tournament where they played. But I think, honestly, I think Zverev was kind of peaking in this match. Um, in their last match, he didn't play so well. Like, his Achilles heel is usually the, um, the second serve. Um, that wasn't a problem this match. Um, then I think Zverev's other weakness, usually, that people can expose is, even though he has this really big first serve, He has this interesting style of play where he has a big first serve, but then he plays kind of conservatively from the baseline um, with with his uh, ground strokes. But I think in this match, he was trying to take it to Alcaraz a little bit more, um, being more aggressive on those ground strokes. And at the end of the day, I mean, I said this before, I think it's such a great asset to uh, be able to hit winners off of both wings, forehand and backhand. I think that's something both uh, Alcaraz and Zverev have and maybe perhaps one thing Zverev used to his advantage is just kind of his height, you know, being able to like absorb the spin and pace of Alcaraz from his pure height, stepping into the ball a little bit more. Um, but yeah, what what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm fully with you. I think that Zverev made a couple of very smart tactical adjustments. Um, that Alcaraz just did not see coming. I think that Zverev, one, just served well, right? And whenever Zverev serves well, he's tough to beat. So that's number one. Uh, number two, I think Zverev said, you may have a good backhand, even a great backhand, but I've got one of the best backhands on the tour, if not ever. And I think Zverev really tried to focus the rallies on that wing uh, of the groundstrokes um and limit his time and I think Zverev tried to move up a little bit more because he realized like you said that you know Zverev is 6'6 if the ball bounces high on him that's probably going to be like mid-height for him it's not really that much of a problem whereas for Alcaraz being you know maybe six feet um that's going to be a tougher shot for him to hit so I think that a couple that those were probably the main drivers as to why Zverev was able to win this match. Um, But yeah, I think it's very clear that Zverev took that loss. um, I believe it was in um, in Madrid. Madrid. Um, Yeah, that he got whooped too. He took that loss in Madrid, went back to the drawing board, and looked at it. And made tactical adjustments to ensure that that wouldn't happen again. And, you know, the second the draw came out, he probably had this, this, this game plan ready to go. They were clearly game planning for Alcaraz and fully expecting him to be there. And, and it paid off for him. Um, you know, I also just to get back to the serve a little bit. Um, yeah, Zverev serve really odd, good first serve, crappy second serve, but when he can hit the second serve in it, it works. Um, Alcaraz, I think, and this is something that you wrote down here, um I, I do think that Alcaraz has a good first serve in terms of velocity and speed. It can get up to like 137 miles an hour, which is great. But um I think he needs a little bit more variety on it. I would He's like not to see
1: averaging him. up to one thirty though, right? He can, right? He
0: can hit slower. it up to that that high, yeah. that hard. But uh-huh. I think what he needs also is just variety. Like I'd like to see him. Like, I think Carlos plays his best when he's slicing the ball on the deuce side and like coming up to net for a serve and volley, like doing things to like shake it up, um, because he's not necessarily going to have like the ability to kick serve quite like, uh, you know, like I mean, Zverev should, but like Daniil Medvedev, for example, where he can just get a bunch of free points that way, or even Djokovic now. Djokovic has a fantastic serve, um, for the most part. So yeah, I. I but those are the serve is one of those things that like is really going to come with age. And that we've seen from numerous players, you know, just like Rafa and Novak that we mentioned earlier, just, it just comes with age. Um, so the next thing that we wrote down here, who I think is the shock of the entire tournament, Marin Cilic, (laughs) Marin Cilic getting through to his, another major semifinal. He has now made the semifinals of every single major, Um, for his career. If he gets to the final, he will have made the final of every major also, which is a fantastic achievement. But Chilich is someone that we highlighted on this podcast months ago. And we said that he was our comeback player of the season after winning a few titles in 2021. Um, But I don't think any of us expected this, where he has just been a major threat at every single tournament that he's in. He's played really, really well, dismantled Medvedev. Like, that was not even close. And uh, earlier today, played a phenomenal match um, to beat uh, Rublev in a tie in a fifth set ten point tiebreak. Um, so yeah, I mean he he I think he played really really well. Super happy for Marin. He's a great great player. Awesome to see him you know sh- strut his stuff. Quite honestly, um, but getting back to the Medvedev match. Um, what impressed you the most from watching Marin in that match?
1: Yeah, so I think uh, the the Medvedev match was where we really saw the form that Chilich is in and where everyone started paying attention to him. Um, I think what impressed me most was... I would say, a uh, the winner to unforced error ratio was also something ridiculous of so much, so many more winners than unforced errors, so much consistency. Um, But he was the winners were not necessarily coming from sheer power, but rather from really excellent placement. He was really um, moving Medvedev around the court very well, taking advantage of Medvedev's court position, standing super far behind the baseline. You know, hitting some. Drop shots here and there, coming to net. Um, So overall shot selection. um, And then at the end of the match, just, you know, he, I think what was most amazing was he, uh, Chilich was peaking, but he peaked consistently throughout the entire match and didn't drop his level when he had to close. Um, So I think when when I watched that match, I was like, wow, you know, Chilich is in the conversation.
0: Yeah, no, I think Marin Cilic reminded everybody that he is a Grand Slam champion for a reason. Um, you know, he he has played really, really well. I think the ability to close, like you said, is a very, very positive thing in Cilic's direction um, today in that Rublev match. I mean, he won that 10 point tiebreak 10 2 if that doesn't tell you how, like, good this guy is at closing out matches, you know, I don't know what does. And every single time in those big moments, Chillich seemed to not be scared and, like, really go for it. Countless numbers of aces when he's, like, a break point down, like, to clutch it up. Or on deuce, like, hitting a um, an ace slice out wide on the deuce side. I mean, that's uh, to set yourself up to hold. Just these really methodical, well-thought-out points from Marin. And like Arabelle said, he is hitting huge. He is going for winners, and it's not necessarily from him like hitting the ball like 115 miles an hour on a forehand. It's more of hitting it like 85 miles an hour in the corner over and over and over again. And, you know, again, another point that Arabelle makes very constantly Chilich can do it off both right. wings. He's got a great backhand, good forehand, so like he can he can hurt you from both wings. And he was abusing Rublev's backhand today. That was, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, he was he was just going right after that all all day long. So um, I'm excited to see what 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 happens in that Chilich and Rude match. I think that's going to be a very very interesting one. Um, now getting back to Rafa. The match before he played Djokovic, he played Felix Auger-Aliassime (FAA) and almost lost. Went to a fifth set. FAA, I think, played his best match ever on clay, um, and FAA has had some sneaky good results on clay so far this year. Uh, you know, maybe that relationship with Uncle Tony is starting to bear some fruits on the dirt. Um, you know, is it, just really quickly. Do you think that FAA is a, is a guy that? can win a Grand Slam because I think that's something that we've always struggled on this podcast to really hone in on is what is FAA's trajectory? Is he just like, uh, you know, a top 10 player that like never really competes for a Grand Slam, but like, you know, maybe he'll make a final or something like that. Um, Or is he a guy that like, he should be winning a Grand Slam one day?
1: I will say an anecdote about FAA. So my little brother damien just like you frankie was a ball boy at the u.s open for many years um up until i think uh maybe three years ago was the last time he did it or two years ago and so i asked him like damien you know of all these next gen players that you've seen up close and play like who is your favorite and he told me from many years ago Felix Auger Alley, it seemed. This guy's it. He's so freaking good. I've watched him live. He's so talented. Um, and I think when you watch him, you can really see that. Um, his strokes are really beautiful, satisfying to watch. Um, when he's in the zone, he, he's just unbelievable. But I think his performance so far, generally across tournaments, has been kind of streaky. You know, he has these like hot shot results here and there in this tournament and that tournament. Uh, for a while he hadn't even won a single title. Like he was in the conversation and he he didn't even have like one title to his name. He was in a bunch of finals. And kind oh for of 0
0: oh for 9 yeah. baby. Let's go. <laughs> Ridiculous.
1: So I don't know. Um I I don't know how long it's going to take for him to come of age. I mean, for someone like Dominic Team, it took a pretty long time, so maybe we just have to be patient. But at the same time then you see someone like Alcaraz and you're like this guy's got it and he's got it now and it almost makes you think like is it kind of binary do you either have it or not I'm not sure
0: yeah I'm 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 with you I I think it's really hard to project him the one thing that I will say about FAA is that his best results have come in majors he's getting to major quarterfinals and semifinals and like it's really in the masters one thousands that he seems to kind of like really struggle, which I guess is a good thing. Like you'd rather be good in the majors and FAA has been very good in the majors, So you got to give that to him. But yeah, I agree also with Damien, right? When you watch FAA live and you see him, you're just like, this guy has everything. He's got the power. He's got the speed. Like it, it, like physically, like he should be unstoppable. He's the perfect like body of a tennis player, but, um, I I still think that the backhand is a little bit of a liability, but at the same time, I've seen really big steps from him over the past year, year or so that make me think like, if this guy keeps working as hard as he is and improving as much as he is, he's going to be a top five player within the next year or two. And I, I, I will give him that. I do think that will be the case. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. He just needs one hot streak in a major and he'll, I think he'll have one. so, I don't know which one, but I think you will get one. Um, All right. So we've gotten through everything. Um, We're going to do a quick overview of the women's side um, before we jump into the men's predictions. On the women's side, it has just been upset after upset. Barbara Krejciva goes down on day one, the number two seed defending French Open champion. Um, Iga Sviantek also almost went down to Zhang of China, which was kind of crazy that that happened. Um, but Iga was able to come back and, and promptly take care of her. She then won this morning against Jessica Bagula, who also had a great tournament and will enter the top 10. Um, but on the women's side, it looks pretty clear that Iga is the runaway favorite. Um, I believe she plays Katsakina next. And Coco Gauff, the 18-year-old, is going to be playing Martina Trevizan, uh, Trevizan for from Italy uh, for the other final spot, which I think will also be a really interesting one. Um, so, Arabelle, on the women's side, who do you have? Do you think it's going to be Iga Swiatek?
1: Yeah, I think this is really uh, Iga's tournament to lose. She's just leaps and bounds better than than anyone else on the WTA tour right now. So consistent. Plays so differently from everyone else. So much topspin. I think in some tournaments, she's she's been hitting with like as much topspin as Nadal. I think like something insane, um, which is I think one of the biggest is- issues in the women's game is that women are hitting too flat. They're hitting too many unforced errors. So I really like that about her, and I think the the biggest obstacle is is herself. She's on this ridiculous winning streak. And that can take a big toll mentally because it's a lot of pressure. Like each match, you're not just playing a match; you're playing to extend this winning streak, and it's like sort of climbing this mountain. So I think we kind of saw her find that find that pressure finally getting to her against Jang of China. Um, a little bit of mental being a little bit a little bit uh, mentally flustered, um, but she was able to get get it together and close it out um and then looked unfazed against pagula so i i think it's hers to lose and i just will say overall i'm kind of like disappointed i've been disappointed for a long time with with women's tennis because of how inconsistent it's been um i think to be a fan of a sport you need there to be there needs to be a star that's exciting that you can get behind that ma- makes you want to watch the sport over and over and over again and you and if it's a different person winning a, each Grand Slam, um, it's impossible to, like, become a fan of everyone. So I used to be a huge Serena fan for that reason. I loved watching her dominate and break records, and I I loved everything about her, the stardom. I think after Serena, um, the next person who was kind of becoming that was Osaka, and for certain reasons, I kind of didn't like Osaka, but I finally came around to her just because I like getting behind people who dominate. And she really was dominating for a while. Like, she was the person to lose. But now she's kind of gone away. Then we had Ash Barty, who I was super excited about. And she retired. But now it's Iga Swiatek, So I'm, I'm kind of happy about that. Um, I wish she... Has nothing to do with tennis, but I wish you were a little bit more exciting. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be like pounding the table screaming like I was for Serena about Iga Sviatek, but um, the numbers don't lie. She's unbelievable. I think she's here to stay. That's all her.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Iga Iga is not, Iga is very much like more in the Rafa mold. Like, Mm you know, very focused right. and, and concentrated, not necessarily as like extroverted as somebody like Serena. So right. yeah, I can totally see that. Um, yeah. I do think it's, it's egos to lose. Um, I think it's egos to lose. Um, I do think that if Coco Goff does make that final, that's an, a tremendous accomplishment for her um, to make her first major final at 18. That's, that's awesome. And on clay too, which is really even more impressive. So Shout out to Coco Golf for doing that. Um, but its I think it's igas to lose. And and the only person that could beat her is herself if she succumbs to the pressure of, of the winning streak. But I think she and what has separated her from everybody else is that she has handled being the number one player in the world like a champ. She wants it. She embraces it. She almost likes this pressure. I think losing that set to Zhang was huge for her because that was even a little bit of a relief off her back. Um, you know, now I think... I think uh, Iga is going to be is going to be very very hard to beat. Um, so finally, on the men's side, uh, we'll do some quick predictions. Um, I will say that Casper Ruud will end up beating uh, Marin Cilic in that one semifinal. Uh, in semifinal number two, Rafa versus Zverev. Um, I don't think that you can bet against Rafa at this point, and in a Rafa rude final. Um, I will go with Rafa Nadal uh, winning there. My one caveat is that I do think that matchup wise, Zverev is kind of a good matchup for Nadal um, because Rafa's big, heavy topspin forehand goes right into like the power spot of Zverev's backhand. So I do think that could be a little troublesome because on those balls where Djokovic may have to like one leg hop it to hit that back end Zverev is just going to be able to leverage himself and really just pound the ball down the line if he wants to um, I think the match is going to be decided on serve is Zverev's serve going to be good or is he going to have like 10 double faults And is Rafa gonna be serving lights out um, like he did against Novak because then he becomes pretty much impossible to beat but I think it's Rafa's tournament to lose now
1: yeah, it's kind of the the tournament. The end of the tournament ended up being, I guess, less exciting than we than we thought it would. With with Alcaraz out and Nadal beating Djokovic, and the carnage on the bottom half of the draw. Um, so I think I completely agree with you. I'm curious why you think uh, Rude takes out Chilich.
0: Um, I think for two reasons. Number one, Marin Chilich is on the older side and that was a pretty physical long match that he just played against Rublev whereas Casper like yes difficult match dropped a set to Holger but Casper Ruud's journey here has not really been that difficult and he's pretty fresh and um you know so I would I would say that fitness-wise probably going to be a big edge for Casper Ruud um and generally, I, I don't know. I just think Casper Root is so, so solid um, that it's going to take a really special performance from Marin Chilich to beat him. Um, Marin's not going to be able to just pound the backhand over and over again and, you know, hope for the best. Casper um, Root's backhand is pretty decent. It's a little spinny, but it's decent. And, uh, not only that rude has the quickness and fitness to run around that and absolutely start whacking some forehands when he needs to. So, um, that, that I think is the the main reason why. Awesome. So I believe that is going to do it for us here. Um, Arabelle, thank you for joining us as always. Um, I have a feeling, as I mentioned, we'll be hearing from you more in the future. Um, any shout outs?
1: Uh, it was a pleasure. Um, shout out to my girl julia Hakimian from great neck i think she said that she was going to submit a question but she didn't but i told her i would give her a shout out anyway so julia Hakimian from great neck shout out to you funny thing about julia Hakimian: not a tennis player but huge tennis fan watches like as much tennis as me if not more but like i don't think she's ever picked up a racket so
0: yeah, well, that's—I mean, that, that is my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, that's my girlfriend. Watches probably more tennis than I do. Loves it. Watches it all the time. She just picked up a racket for the first time in years this past weekend um, when she <laughs> played with me. So, you know, sl- slowly making making conversions. You know, um, but uh, but that's gonna do it from us here at Breakpoint Podcast. Um, as always, give us a follow on Instagram. We've been pretty active doing polls and all that stuff with you guys. So, um, be sure to hit us up on there. Otherwise we will catch you next time and we'll see you after the French open. Thanks for listening. Bye.